Welcome to Femboldened, a podcast where inspiration meets aligned action, where science meets spirit, and where you've landed to enliven the bold within you. I'm your host, Angelica Pascone, multidimensional healer and empowerment coach, specializing in helping heart-centered high achievers like you to shatter their personal and professional self-built glass ceilings. Get ready to awaken to your truest potential as we dive deep into the emboldened stories, wisdom, and medicine of our fellow impact-driven visionaries to energize you into living your bold. The only question is, are you ready? Let's get started. Them Bolden. Welcome to this beautiful episode with Nicole Kerr, award-winning health expert, the co-author of Eating the Rainbow, Lifelong Nutritional Wellness Without Lies, Hype, or Calculus. Thank God, because I've never taken calculus, just pre-calc, I didn't do so hot. She appeared on CNN, PBS, CBS, ABC, The Food Channel, and and a host of other TV and radio shows to share her, her unique perspective on wellness, lifestyle, and nutrition. For the past 30 years, Nicole has worked in all sectors of society, including the CDC, American Cancer Society, U.S. Air Force, and the University of Hawaii. Her story starts as a 19-year-old cadet at the United States Air Force Academy when she was forced to learn how to live and love differently following a terrifying and transformative near-death experience. As a disabled veteran, Nicole now maintains a private practice primarily using neuroemotional technique, NET, targeting the often overlooked domains of emotional, energy, and spiritual well-being. Welcome, Nicole. I am so excited to learn from you, to grow with you, and just excited to to meet you today. I'd love to know how you are today, who you are today, and what's going on in your world today. (laughs) Well, first of all, I am delighted to be here and to meet you. Um, You just have such radiance and energy about you, and I just could feel an immediate connection. So I know we're going to have a a fun conversation today, and hopefully your listeners will really glean some hope from our discussion today and some some advice and some things that they can do to help um, transform and be the being that they were created to be. But I'm doing great. I live in New Bern, North Carolina, which is coastal North Carolina. And we just uh, were, thank God, uh, the hurricane I, uh, Eon just skirted by us. So we didn't we didn't have a lot of damage, a little bit of flooding and um, some debris, but truly our, my heart goes out to all those people mm-hmm. in Florida and South Carolina that total destruction, you know, and how hopeless they must be feeling. So, mm-hmm. um, so I am just so grateful I'm alive. I'm a grateful I have a house and, you yes. know, that my health is good and just um, for, for being alive, for, for just, yes. you know, truly being alive in this day and age and knowing that, you know, hopefully um, I'm a light worker and I'm a bridge mm-hmm. um, to help people understand that they don't need to be afraid of death. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're here to talk about. I am really excited to have this conversation because I've not had this conversation before on Fimboldens. I think we've, we've, broached it a little bit with me sharing my gifts. And, um, you know, I think think I've had guests who's, who's mentioned transforming after the death of a loved one and what that looked like and and me reaffirming what their medium said that what it's, what my experience is for reading 
other people who have passed. And, and, you know, so so I'm really excited to come together and 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 share our experiences and highlight yours. And my goodness, I'm I'm grateful that you're you're doing well and you're safe and sound. And I, as as you were speaking, I thought to myself, you know, it's been my experience that whenever I start to become more human and have the humanness of wanting more and desiring more and being whiny, and it's all inside my head, right? then then let something in life happens for me to realize my priorities and what's important and and shake things up again. So I'm I'm really grateful. I again my heart reaches out for all of those who are in that devastation and in those traumas right now and moving through them, but also grateful for the reality check that I I've received too. And those people no doubt about it, are traumatized and yes. they're going to need a lot of support. And it doesn't, just because the news doesn't keep reporting it four or five days after, it will be yeah. a long journey for them. And absolutely, you know, I just, I want them to know that, that it just doesn't click on and click off. You no, know? no, no, absolutely. You know, it's interesting when I was in high school, I was a, say a senior in high school, I was a senior in high school. So that was 2008, spring of 2008 and Katrina happened 2005, correct? And we went down for Katrina relief three years later. And it's like the world just forgot, right? People's houses weren't finished yet. People just left. And so we were finishing up houses and painting and and they were just so, it was, I loved New Orleans. It was one of the favorite places in, in the country, but they were just grateful to have somebody paint their walls. I remember one of my, my uh, fellow classmates and accidentally painted the ceiling and goes, oh man, I am so sorry. I'll fix it. Where's the white paint? She goes, just paint the whole thing. It's fine. I just want to move in. I'm so grateful you're here. Right. And it's just, you know, that, that again, that shift in perspective. So anyways, this is going to be such a great conversation. I love to know, I mean, we, I kind of mentioned your story starts at 19, but I'm curious to know. And usually with my guests, I ask like, who, who were you 10 years ago, but for you, it's been lifetimes and lifetimes and lifetimes progressing. So I guess who was Nicole before she entered the air force and, and I guess, take us through the whole, the whole journey of before, during, after, I, I just want to know it all. <laughs> Honestly, I don't even know where to start all day. <laughs> um, well, in my book, I took a talk a little bit about my background and I was born in um, Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. My dad was military. He was a Air Force Academy graduate as well, the second class. So he wanted one of the four kids here um, to follow in his footsteps. So um, that's where I come in and say, uh, yes, sir, I'm going to step up to that because we knew as kids how important that was for one of us to to do that. Um, and it's interesting now that I moved to New Bern two, two years ago. I was been in Hawaii for 17 years and we moved here and it's 33 miles from Jacksonville, which is where Camp Lejeune is. So I have literally come 365 degrees mm. um, in my life and I've come home to me, not only geographically, but emotionally and spiritually and energetically as well and got myself in alignment over the last two years that we have been here and we've been in this pandemic. So it was um, coming home to healing and I would have never uh, foreseen that, that we would move here, you know, so that that's really cool for me, you know, mm-hmm. but growing up, uh, you know, I, Jackson, Mississippi was home, uh, deep South Bible belt, uh, 
segregation, you know, I went to private school up until eighth grade. Then my mother got this brilliant idea. We were going to try public schools. So I was one of two buses of white kids that was bused into an all black school. Mm. So it was um, reverse, you know, discrimination. And so that was um, challenging and difficult when you've been um, raised since you were little with this little clique of people that you went through, you know, first through sixth grade or seventh grade with um, very much uh, religious. My mother was Lutheran. My dad was Baptist, Southern Baptist. So we spent a lot of time in church, um, you know, Sunday mornings, the Lutheran church, the Baptist church in the evenings, the Baptist church on Wednesdays, the Baptist wow. church on revivals. So, okay. you know, I grew up with the, the um, concept of God being duality, that he loves you and he cares about you. And he's this man in the sky with a beard. And, um, but here are all the rules. And if you break them, um, you're going to get punished. You're going to get, uh, you know, judgment uh, um, and pain and suffering and all that's going to come down on you and you will go to hell and, you know, you will be separated and you will be on fire for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. And as kids, you take that literally, you know, uh-huh. as, as little, little, little munchkins. Yes. You believe that there's this devil with some horns and, you know, uh, there's a place in the middle of the earth that's just burning up. Yeah. Um, so. I think, you know, my near-death experience blew all that out the window, you know, and now being, you know, having lived in Hawaii, which there's no one major ethnicity and there's a lot more diversity in terms of religion, a lot more Buddhism, a lot more um, alternative than the mainstream Protestant religions that you see here, like in New Bern and the South in general. So um, I did some modeling. I was active in um, a fashion team board. Uh, I did what I would call soft sports, racquetball, (laughs) (laughs) you know, softball, things like that. I wasn't a varsity athlete at all. And, um, you know, junior achievement, things like that. And then took ballet for a long time, was very good at it. And then uh, my sophomore year, I grew uh, to my height now of 5'11". And when I would go on point, I'd be over six feet and there's no guys that I could ever get paired with. So that was the end of my ballet career. Um, (laughs) My height just took me out of that one, which is a good thing because that, that field is extremely competitive, a lot of eating disorders and that. And um, anyhow, uh, piano playing, you know, just kind of raised the, um, a little above average in terms of socioeconomic and um, uh, occasionally we take a vacation at Christmas up to Michigan, um, traveled a little bit, but that was, you know, um, that was pretty much it. And then when it came time to decide where to call, go to college, um, my dad just told me, you know, um, think about the Air Force Academy. I went there. I want one of you to go there. And my sister, of course, who's older, did not. And my brothers, I have two brothers below me, and they were not, even though they went to a Marine military academy during their, their um, you know, younger years, they didn't have um, the grades or the vision or whatever, something uh, to get in. So I stepped up to be daddy's girl. And mm-hmm. You know, looking back now, I'm like, 
I, I can't understand why I did that because it was such a different world. And uh, this past weekend, I took my first trip since the pandemic in terms of flying and went to Washington, D.C. and went to the Air Space Museum that's near Dulles Air Force Space. And when I walked in there, it was the SR-71 Blackbird and then all these planes from the Cold War, World War One, World War Two. you know, way in the back was the huge shuttle. Um, and then I started feeling nauseous, you know, and then we got into the um, what I would call the, the commercial planes, the Concorde, the FedEx planes for pleasure. And what I realized, my husband said to me, do you know that we've been walking around and every single plane we've looked at was designed to kill somebody? Mm. And I was like, yeah, the energy change. I could feel it immediately mm. when we crossed into the hangar where the what I would call um, pleasure or transportation for, for, to get people, you know, from one place to another where that part of the exhibit was. And then I had to go outside. I just couldn't, couldn't handle it anymore and breathe because what I really realized is I never consciously put it together that I was going somewhere. I mean, I know the military is designed to protect and defend, but I never thought I would have be put in a position to kill somebody or have someone kill me mm. to save this country. And the, the reality of that hit me in that museum mm. at such a level because I have always known my soul was not in alignment with me going to a place that was teaching me how to do that. And I can't believe now my parents really thought that was a good idea, you know, even though dad graduated from there, he knew what I was going to be in store for mm -hmm. in terms of, of that lifestyle. And it's not all the glory of the commercials. You know, you see it commercialized, you see the, the glory and the pride and the uniforms and the, you get to, you know, have a, go places that nobody else has, has been or whatever. But the ultimate mission is learning how to defend, which is kill or be killed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh. So that kind of stuff still even, I mean, that was just last weekend still yeah. comes up for me to realize I hadn't, I hadn't gone there to understand that that's what I was really getting into. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. No, it's so true. You know, my father, he served in the army. Um, and I guess, fortunately and unfortunately, he had a, a very serious injury around the time of desert storm. Mm -hmm. So he wasn't able to serve and he was, you know, medically discharged because he cut off all of his fingers and had to resew them on and blah, blah, blah. But when he had another accident later on in life and he wasn't lucid because he was overly medicated, he was waiting for a surgery on his, his hip that had broken in multiple places. Um, he went back to what he was trained to do. So his mind thought he was in Vietnam because he mm -hmm. saw the leaves on the curtains and the night nurses had to spoke different dialects and had different accents. And he tried to, he thought he was a prisoner of war and he tried to cut himself free with a butter knife that was on his table. And it's, you know, um, certainly I don't have that experience, but seeing that indirectly, I can only imagine, I guess, waking up from it. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And especially, and I, I, I can't even imagine growing up in, 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 uh, in a household where, like you said, that was what 
they knew you were going up against. Right. Yeah. You know, I talk about my book with, in regards to my father, um, you know, he had his 10 commandments. There was the church's 10 commandments, but then, you know, it was like my dad had his, and his first one was no spending the night ever, you know, and his rationale was that nothing productive ever comes from it. You know, oh, wow. stay up most of the night and get cranky and tired the next day and know that was not going to be his kids, you wow. know? So I got to spend the night one time in the fourth grade, um, had my mother's permission. Um, I couldn't even enjoy it because I knew when I came home Saturday morning and faced him, he was going to be so angry. Uh, and he was, and I uh, couldn't believe my mother would allow that because she knew it was a rule. And um, I had two weeks restriction and then mm. I never spent the night again until I went to the Air Force Academy and met my roommates and yeah, y'all were in one room. Yeah. Wow. So, so really strict. Yes. 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 Oh my gosh. So, yeah. So I went in, I was the sixth class of women and there was still a lot of men that did not want us there. So a lot of, you know, a lot of abuse goes on at all those military academies and fraternities. I mean, you still hear about it in, in regular universities, hazing and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, I knew that it wasn't for me, the first, after three weeks of basic cadet training in the summer. Mm -hmm. And I got, we got one phone call. This is before cell phones. We got one three minute phone call home. And so my mother answered the phone and she said, hello. And I just heard her voice and I started crying. Mm -hmm. And Angelica for three minutes, I couldn't get a word out. I just mm -hmm. cried and hyperventilated. And that was the whole conversation. Mm -hmm. And hung up. And then my commander comes and said, Kerr, go sit over there and get yourself straightened out. And what I realized years later was that was my first panic attack. Mm -hmm. Because what I needed to hear from my mother was you have permission to quit. Right. You, you don't have to stay there and suffer and be abused. You can come home, you know? Um, and she didn't say that. And mm -hmm. she told me, you know, years later that she looked at, you know, my dad and said, what have we done to her? And he said, oh, nothing. She'll be fine. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't fine. I was not fine. It mm -hmm. was from there. I had to go to remedial uh, flight, which was one-on-one -on -one because I was just not in the physical conditioning as the rest of the, the uh, classmates of mine. I mean, they were all varsity, whatever. And that's just a whole level of training physically. And I had, you know, put myself on a program of running around the block in our neighborhood with combat boots a month before I left, you know, and mm -hmm. needless to say, Jackson, Mississippi's at, you know, sea level and Colorado Springs is at 7,000 feet. Uh -huh. so, <laughs> so then, you know, um, I suffered through it. I made it through the first year, got through the summer courses. And then the beginning of the sophomore year is when I was um, involved in my, uh, I was in an automobile crash coming back from a squadron um, kickoff party for the, the, the beginning of the year. Mm -hmm. And the guy that I had gotten the ride back with, I did not know this, but he was drunk. And um, needless to say, uh, we never made it back. And the next thing I remember was driving in his Corvette convertible top down we stopped at a bar. He wanted to stop at a bar. He was a senior. And uh, then we 
went and stopped. He wanted to look at the Rocky Mountains sunset. And I kept going, we got to be back by 735 or we're going to get in trouble. Mm-hmm. And then we got back on the road. And that was the last I remembered um, until I woke up in the hospital. And then when I woke up in the hospital, the only thing I remembered was um, bright white lights. That was it. And um, could not remember anything else about the accident and the uh, amount of pain that I was in. I could start mm-hmm. registering that um, because before I, I wasn't registering the pain and all of a sudden now I'm in the hospital, I'm back in my body and the human body, of course, is, 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 is um, rewiring itself and I'm going, oh boy, you know, and uh, then I was on a journey four months in the hospital, seven weeks in ICU. I had major injuries, um, cut my left foot off and they had to sew it back together. Um, My right wrist was severed. They had to pin it back together. My pelvis on both sides was broken. I had a fourth degree laceration between my anal and sphincter and you as a nurse practitioner know what all that is. Fourth degree is the worst type of laceration. It goes the deepest. I cut a huge chunk of skin out of my uh, right leg. Uh, I had a really bad road burn from sliding on the pavement. Um, So And clearly I had a TBI that wasn't diagnosed back then in 83 because I went unconscious for at least 12 hours. Mm -hmm. And um, there were some people that lived close by that heard the crash, went out there and couldn't get any sign of life on me. So they went and got some blankets and covered me up. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until the volunteer fire department got there and then the regular fire department and everybody else where... Um, an EMT came and said, no, I'm going to look at this person myself. You don't tell me what to do to these bystanders. And he couldn't get any sign of life out of me until he did this procedure. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's a, it's a sternal knuckle. Yeah. Sternal rub. Mm -hmm. It hurts. Yes. I mean, if you just did it to yourself deep, you would be going, you know, and that caused my eye, my right eye to flicker and my pupil dilate. So he knew he had some life in me. Uh, He just didn't know if he was going to be able to to keep me alive. So they got these masked pants on me. They were the first time that he'd ever used them. And it pushed all the blood up into my um, heart and organ area. They got me on the bus. I I was doing, they were doing CPR the whole way. And then got to the hospital. Blood pressure was 60 over zero. um, And I was just a mess and they weren't sure, you know, that they were going to be able to, to keep me alive. And I just happened to have the number one female, the only, the first female surgeon in Colorado Springs was on duty. I was on call, as you guys say, mm-hmm. uh, that night, she got the call to come in and, um, and she wound up being my head, head surgeon for the rest of the, yeah. you know, four months she's a maverick. She is an absolutely amazing woman and first class of women to graduate medical school at Jefferson medical college in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. And, um, she special specialized, like I said, in in thoracic area. And then I know about this because my EMT came back to my room, my hospital room to check on me 10 weeks Mm -hmm. after the wreck and told me what happened. So I've been able between um, reports, medical reports, um, 
um, what is it, the, uh, the reports from the crash, you know, from the district mm -hmm. attorney's office. Um, the other guy was fine, his, it, pretty much. I mean, he went to the another hospital, but he was discharged in a week with some minor injuries uh, on his back. And he, uh, unfortunately, uh, and this is where you see the military takes care of its own in a sense. His dad was a three-star general and he was like, I don't care what happens. My son's going to graduate. He's a senior. He's this close. And, um, and he did. Yeah. So, other, you know, even though the state charged him with vehicular assault and DUI and et cetera, he, um, he was still able to graduate. So that's the, uh, what is it? The privilege yeah. <laughs> with rank comes privilege. And so, um, you know, I had to, I had to deal with that piece of things too. And, um, Needless to say, uh, I was finally discharged almost at Christmas. So that was almost four months. And then um, six major operations. I coded on another uh, on an emergency operation where they, they actually called the time on it and uh, told my parents I, I was gone and they needed to start making funeral preparations. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, the sur surgical nurse is running back down the hall saying, wait a minute, they're she's going again. So, you know, clearly, um, I was, I was trying to go back. Yeah. <laughs> it's not one to be here. Um, so, you know, then eight months of uh, therapy, learning how to walk again and, um, the, just the physical therapy. And then my parents did not believe, um, that I needed. They said she needs to see a psychologist and a mental health person for all this trauma. And my mother said that God and Jesus were our psychologist and we didn't need that. And, you know, that's just not true. I did need help with processing the trauma. And a result of not doing that led me into an eating disorder, uh, you know, um, after I was uh, separated from my mother and went tried went to live with my sister and tried to go back to college Um probably picked the worst college to go to uh, in terms of looks and beauty being important, which is Southern Methodist University right in the heart of Dallas. And um, I developed back then compulsive eating. And it was just, you know, um, and I had that for 20 years, you know, until I met and married my husband, I dealt with binge eating and um, trying to deal with this pain. And my memory came back uh, 19 years after the crash. And that's when I was working at CDC in Atlanta. So that was like scary to me that I'm driving to work. I went to Starbucks to get my, my normal uh, latte. And then all of a sudden it was just clear as day how I was sitting in the car. I could just, I just saw myself and, and saw what happened. I went right up through the windshield and hit the boulder and I was like, okay, I'm not going to work. I'm going to my um, chiropractor body worker. And I mm -hmm. sat in his office all day because he was completely booked and waited for him to have an opening. And he said, Nicole, these are repressed memories. Mm -hmm. And he said, they're coming up and you're, you're okay. It's just your body now is remembering it. And um, you don't need to go back to work. Just go home, you know in a safe place. And he got me to a certain point, um, where I was, uh, 
shot out of the car. And then I knew when I was suspended up at the top, I was going to die. I just knew it. And uh, so my spirit flew out then and didn't, you know, and went on. And then my body hit the ground. I was in a ditch and, and that, and, and was declared dead at the scene. So I was dead, you know, in that clinical dead state about 10 to 15 minutes. That's how long it took the uh, volunteer people to get there. And then um, it's just been a journey ever since. Oh my God. That kind of leads you through it. Yeah. My gosh, I'm speechless. But at the same time, I have a million questions. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess it's not really speechless. I'm curious, looking back on that decision. So did you ride into the the party with this same individual that you left with? No, I bet earlier that day, I had been at the Commandant of Cadets house with two other um, cadets. And we were asked to have um, like brunch with him and to meet and greet other high schoolers that were interested in coming to the academy that were female um, and male, but we were supposed to, you know, talk it up and be positive about it. And uh, and so I had done that. So I was late getting to the function. I had I went down. I think it was in a bus that took me to where this was because it was off site. It was at a park, mm-hmm. and um, the Air Force had provided. Uh, beer for everybody. So they broke their own regulations with that. Mm. Um, And I was the last one to leave. And he was the last person with a vehicle. So uh, I did not know this guy. He was in my squadron, but he was older. And I I just was like, hey, can I get a ride back? Mm. And then when my memory came back, I realized, you know, oh gosh, he made a sexual pass at me. And uh, I said no. And he got angry at me. And that's when he spun the car out of control and he was speeding. He was going 70 and a 45 and the car just fishtailed. And then my side hit the, hit the boulder. And then, and that's the beginning of my book actually has some pictures in it of the, of the crash and details on a timeline, exactly what happened. So that's how the story opens in my book. You are deathless. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I always, you know, I, I think back often to just, moments that are the butterfly effect, right? And how we don't, we don't realize it in the moment of choices well, and, and just even, I mean, that wasn't even a choice of yours. It was just well, circumstance. Well, you read the epilogue because <laughs> the epilogue blew me away. Um, my roommate at the time, uh, I didn't know this, but she came to visit me in the hospital and I was drugged out most of the time and she quit that, that Christmas. Now accident happened in, in August and she quit in, in Christmas and never went back. And the other two girls that were in our squadron that were in our same um, age group, they never heard from her either. So for 38 years, no one knew what happened to Margaret. And so I found her on Facebook and we did a zoom call in May and what she revealed was why she quit. And I did not remember the conversation that we had had before, which I'm not going to, you got to get the book. I got to read it. Yeah. yeah. But <laughs> needless to say, it was bad enough for her to quit. And we both have been living with guilt and blame 
uh, that wasn't ours. Mm. And that is so important that we need to communicate things and not just think someone remembered something. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But it was an absolute, when she said it, I completely disassociated on the call and went in a state of shock. And I got a migraine headache that lasted for like eight days. I had to go to the ER because I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I just could not believe it mm-hmm. because I had been blamed by my parents that I was part of the cause of the wreck because I had a beer, I had a cigarette, which I didn't, I've had three cigarettes in my life. Okay. So it's like, and it happened to be on that night. Yeah. 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 And my dad thought I was dating that guy and his rules were no dating cadets, no drinking, um, and no smoking. And, you know, so he assumed that and then basically told me, well, then you didn't, you didn't listen to me, then you deserve it. And, you know, and God, therefore, God is disappointed in you as well. And he told my other three siblings, my sister told me this years ago, that he actually told them, if you don't listen to me, this is what happens to you. And this is the end of my relationship truly with my parents was that blaming uh, because they couldn't make sense of it, you know, and, um, and I have lived with this for so long. And then when my roommate said what she said, I'm like, oh my God, why didn't you tell me this in the hospital? Or, you know, um, and she said, I just thought you knew. <clears throat> so it, it it just was another layer of healing, mm-hmm. but I had no idea. Wow. Oh my gosh. My so so it's been, um, this book is more about, I guess, my healing journey mm-hmm. and not wanting to come back from the other side because I knew coming back in my body was going to be a lot of pain and suffering and coming back into my family of origin Uh, I couldn't do anything. I was basically an infant again. I couldn't go to the bathroom by myself. I had to be helped everywhere. Um, You know, wheelchair. I had to graduate from the wheelchair. You know, it's just just a long eight-month therapy process. And and that was just the physical. And, you know, and then they didn't believe in, in the other. And they just thought if I went back to the same churches that it would, you know, it would all be okay. And, and it wasn't. Mm-mm. So, so I'm curious to know, having this memory come back 19 years later, and, and I know you might not know this answer, but maybe part of you does. What, I guess, do you think your body felt like you were ready to, to see and to remember those aspects of the accident you, you pushed down yes. for so long? Yeah. Yes. And what, what was yes. it about life at that time that made you, made your body believe that you were ready? I, I had started to go to therapy on my own. Mm. I, with the uh, compulsive eating, I got into a a 12 step program. Uh, I realized, you know, um, even though that I was in it and it it was, I don't think it's the correct way to deal with eating disorders, to put people on these great 
sheets and stuff like that and sponsors that you have to, you know, confess that you ate a whatever it is you binged. I, I have some issues with the way it, it was run, right. at least back then. But what it did was it was talking about, you know, a higher power. And I never heard that term, you know, all I heard was God. So it started me uh, looking on the search for, you know, why did this happen to me? And, you know, and the, the preacher told me in the hospital, uh, well, we have free will, you know, so we all get to make decisions. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, okay, that I thought I was doing everything right. You know, I thought if I lived a certain way and I was right, I saw God as a vending machine. If I put in the right change and put in the right behavior and punch the Coca-Cola button, Coke would come out. And when Mountain Dew comes out or nothing comes out and you've done all this, you're going, well, I guess it's my fault. Maybe I didn't put in the right behavior. I didn't do it this way or that way or whatever. It's always back on you and mm-hmm. the blame comes back on you. You're doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. So I started going to uh, Unity Church. I started going, you know, broadening my horizons in terms of trying to understand um, a different concept of, of God and uh, was starting to go to uh, acupuncture and um, body work. And, you know, it just more of that kind of um, Eastern medicine, I would call it. Uh, And uh, of course, getting into therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, it really, I think, helped my body to feel safe. And I really believe the body does remember. Mm -hmm. And when you feel safe enough and it's to your highest and greatest good, it will remember. And so 19 years later is when it remembered. And it and it's it, and it's a big story. It's a big story to get a head, your head around uh, and, to, and to really believe that, that you're not making it up because so much okay. in our society, um, you know, and I was sexually abused at eight. Um, I thought it didn't come back to me until my 30s. And I struggled with, am I making up this memory for years? Mm-hmm. You know, so it's so difficult to believe in yourself, you know, and know that what your intuition and what you're feeling, even though it goes against everything. And even if you tell people they go, no, that couldn't be, you were doing this or this happened, you know, um, it's your truth. And it explains so much in my life. That's the part that really just like goes, wow, well, no wonder, uh, you know, I was always afraid of men's anger. You know, it was that event at eight and then it's my dad's anger. And then it was this anger of this guy in the car when, mm-hmm. you know, I said no. So mm-hmm. I, um, well, and I'd venture to say too, it was being raised in a God fearing home who was also male. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. So I, and then moving into the military is total fear and terror every day that I'm not going to make it. You know, uh, I just was just like, I lived in that state and my poor adrenals and my poor, you know, that amygdala was just constantly wired to, to fight, flight or free. And, and I just, it, it was terrorizing, you know, and, 
you just don't realize it at the time. You're just trying to get through it. You know, it's like, okay, what's the next thing? Obstacle course. Okay. What's the next thing? You know, don't, don't fall off the, 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 um, the tower, you know, it's just yeah. like, so it was, um, it was just constant uh, pressure mm-hmm. to perform, do the next thing. And your body doesn't even have time to process the fear, the paralyzed will, the, the, the panic, any of that. You're just, overriding it and pushing it down. Right. Right. Uh, and so, you know, when my memory started coming back, that's when I remembered, uh, you know, a being an angel coming down and whoop, swooping me up and taking me up. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting. I t- described it in the book is like Casper, the ghost, mm-hmm. but since the book was published, I now realize it was my grandfather. Mm. It was my grandfather, Kerr, who in spirit form changed into the angelic form and came down and saved me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you have to remember people's soul and spirit are not who they are in the physical mm-hmm. state, their light, their love, their beauty. Mm-hmm. And that's what, like with my parents now, I don't communicate with them. They're very, um, they're religious addicts and um, they're narcissistic. I'm just going to say it. And uh, I have nothing to say anymore. Uh, we've said it all. And it's, at, I have to remember that's not who they are as a soul yes. Yes. and spirit. And that's really hard to do because that's the plane I have to talk to them on if I need yes. to talk to them. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so my grandfather, he died at my age, I'm 58 and he died at 58 from a heart attack. And, you know, I look back on his life and think of all the pressure he was under and a mentally ill wife and just things like that. And, um, he was the one it just, I mean, it really did come to me only about three weeks ago. I know I have a military angel guarding me now since the wreck and his name is James. And I've known that piece for a long time, but my father, my brother, and my grandfather are all named James. And I was like, no, I think, you know, somebody else. Mm-hmm. And then my grandfather just, it just appeared. And it was like, I was the one that came down to save you. Mm-hmm. And basically I went up to this other level and I could hear, I was not in a physical form. It was just my soul and my light. And it was absolutely pure bliss. There's not even words to describe it. And I think the white light that Raymond Moody, who coined the term near death experience and the commonality of all NEDs. um, There's a lot of lessons. And that's what I took my chapters in the book were the 10 lessons from Mm. common NDEs. And they're all positive. I mean, the first one is we do not die. You know, our soul lives on and people uh, need to understand that and know that, that that part of you lives on and has a long trajectory. And we don't, I never grew up learning about what your soul is. You know, I knew there was soul music and I knew that there was like, occasionally the Bible said something about soul, but it it, it didn't dawn on me what my soul was or my spirit. You know, you weren't really taught that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you certainly weren't taught to love yourself. You were taught to love God first, 
then Jesus, then mom, then dad, then your siblings. And, you know, this, this most important piece is this unconditional love of self, you know, we're never taught that either. Mm -hmm. So it's so hard for people to understand when you say love yourself or self-love to realize if you grew up in that kind of environment, everybody else was ahead of you. So you wanted to become a people pleaser and you don't know what it looks like or feels like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But anyway, when I was on the other side, I could hear um, conversations and discussions with other beings. So that you will know other beings when you're up there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really believe, you know, that we will see our loved ones, but it will not be any memory associated with the negative or the bad things that happened, the abuse that happened or any of that, mm-hmm. that well, that just won't even factor into it. You know, they, you won't remember it. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were saying that we here on earth have to ask them for help. Mm-hmm. They're not gonna jump in and interfere anything because we have free will um, unless it's an emergency like it was in my case. But that is a really important message that all listeners need to hear is you have to ask the spiritual angelic realm for help with anything. I mean, Mm -hmm. it it can be as minor as help me with this test I'm Mm -hmm. taking today or, or whatever, but they're the ones in charge. They're the ones that brought me back. You know, I didn't raise myself out of death. You know, I did not in my own humanness, do that. I had no capacity to do that. Something else brought that back in through me, that that life, that breath of life, that vapor of soul and, and spirit put that back in my body, not me. Mm. And I think we think we're invincible. And especially when we're younger, you know, and we can do anything and, um, and you can't, you know, it's just like, these people that do everything right and still wind up, they think they're doing everything right. They're eating healthy, they're exercising and, you know, they die, mm-hmm. you know, like uh, Jim Fix, the big runner back in the seventies, you know, mm-hmm. uh, t- teaching people how to run. He had a heart attack running yeah. Atkins, you know, same thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's, we can all die at any moment. And that's mm-hmm. something we all need to be mindful of. And the other piece that I was told, it was, I was going to go back and I was like, no, no, I don't want to go back to my body. And I could see myself on the ditch. I mean, I could look down and see, I was in my khaki shorts, my strap turquoise Azad shirt. Uh, and I was like, Oh, that does not look pleasant to go back into. Yeah. And, um, and especially my family, Ooh, that's going to be hard to deal with. And, um, the angel told me that my granddaddy now told me that my message now was to tell people not to be afraid of death. Yeah. And when you think about fear, we are such a fear-filled society right now. Mm-hmm. And in fear, you lose clarity. Okay. When you're scared, you lose that sense of clarity. Mm-hmm. And in order to get your clarity, you got to address that fear. Correct. Okay. And most of our fears are irrational. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. They don't make sense and they're not true. And they come from the existence of limiting belief systems. Mm-hmm. So if you address the limiting belief systems uh, in your world, then you can get in a state of alignment, Correct. your mind, your soul, your spirit, your body, and alignment is the goal in order to reach that higher level of clarity. Mm-hmm. So that's why in my book, I really address the fears. And at the back of the book, there's a um, book club uh, suggestion. And I think it would be amazing if you have a book club to read this book, mm-hmm. because it's going to be a heavy duty discussion yeah. at the end of the book club. And I even put a checklist of what some fears could be mm-hmm. and, and look at them. They're everything from, I don't want to leave my family alone mm-hmm. to, uh, you know, I I'm scared that I'm going to be in pain uh, dying Mm-hmm. And you may be in pain dying. That's why they give you the morphine. But mm-hmm. upon death, there is no pain. Mm-hmm. Guaranteed 100% no pain. Yeah. yeah. You know, um, people are scared of dying alone. Mm-hmm. You know, there's so many uh, um, that you're going to miss something after you die. You know, there's so it's, it's about figuring it out. What is keeping you in fear? And then addressing that. And I think if you had a group that could honestly talk about that, you would find out you're a, you're not alone, Mm -hmm. that we all have some degree uh, of fear because it's an unknown. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that it's going to help change the narrative of death being about doom and gloom and Mm -hmm. that we're in this death denial society and to bring it out into consciousness and light and that it is beautiful uh, when we um, die and go back to the Mm -hmm. other side, you know, you're escorted back, you're not alone. Mm -hmm. Um, And when people can understand this um, and let go of those fears, they're going to live more fully. But as long as those fears are weighing on them, they're not going to live fully. And that's where a lot of us are with uh, COVID and fear of, you know, I'm not going to live. And I've seen, you know, my aunt hasn't been out of her house except to go to the doctor's appointments for three years. Mm-hmm. And she has aged. I mean, yeah. she's 83, but last time I saw her, she looked like a hundred. Yeah. You know? And mm-hmm. it's just mm-hmm. been sad because she only goes in the backyard. She doesn't see people. You know, they don't have a computer, so they watch TV, her and her her daughter. Um, So, you know, you really have to, I mean, you still have to be, I have an advanced degree in public health. I mean, you have Mm -hmm. to be smart about this. Mm -hmm. You know, it's Mm -hmm. like, okay, you need to wear a mask. I mean, that's, you know, wash your hands. I mean, these are all simple things that were taught early in school just to keep your hygiene clear you know, when the flu's around, you know, you don't mm-hmm. cough on people, you don't, you know, it's just reminders that, you know, one of the lessons is that everything and everyone is connected. Mm-hmm. So what you're doing, Angelica, is affecting me. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. what I'm doing is affecting you. And all you have to do is get in an airplane. And that's where yes. you know, I was last week, the first time. And, you know, uh, I think, uh, 50 seat airplane, I think maybe 
eight people had a mask on, mm-hmm. you know, and we were close, yeah. it's a tiny, tiny plane. And, um, mm-hmm. and I just thought, wow. And there were people coughing. I know that, you know, yeah. going around and stuff like that. And I'm like, you know, it's just not worth it for me to sit here and worry about, uh Oh, just put the mask on. It's only a 44 yes. minute flight, you know? So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, I, I think, um, to get, to, to get politics involved in all of this, it's just, um, from a public health perspective, I was so disappointed that we didn't talk more as um, as the leaders, the NIH or the CDC coming out and telling people what they could do to be responsible for their own health to improve their immune system. You can eat mm-hmm. healthier, you know, you can increase every day as a family, try to increase your servings of fruits and vegetables, just one a day, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. uh, get outside and try to do some activity, you know, and right. take your, your vitamin D and your zinc to try to help keep in your C to boost your immune system. None of that mm-hmm. messaging was ever made clear. It was just wait for the vaccine. And people, of course, went to their comfort food, which I understand because the, the try to um, get that uh, what I want to say, uh, dopamine mm-hmm. to push down that effect so that you don't have to feel the anxiety of the uncertainty of what's going on and what right. your life's going to look like. Mm-hmm. So I know I just diverged quite all right, <laughs> but that's right. my message that I was told to give to people. Mm-hmm. And for the first 19 years, I had no memory. So I didn't even know that was my message. Yeah. Okay? And yeah. so I took my parents word for it that I did something wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, I screwed up. I got in the car with someone who's drunk. Um, and, and that I paid a dear, dear price for it. So I'm to blame shame on me, mm-hmm. my guilt, and, um, and, and then the guy just never owned it. So that was part of it too, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then when my memory did come back and I remember going to the other side, I'm like, well, how in the heck am I supposed to get this kind of message out? So mm-hmm. it has taken me 13 years to write this 177 page book. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I have you would not believe how many drafts I have in my computer. Well, I believe you. I, I would uh, sure believe you. Yeah. 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 And I went to, you know, writers conferences and mm-hmm. um, all of this. And I finally feel like that I've distilled it down to what can help you. And I don't promise anything because any book that promises you that mm-hmm. you do these five things, you're going to be this or that or the other. It's just not true. We're all individuals and we have, have to find our own way. But what I can tell you for sure is in my experience, God is internal, not external. And you heal yourself internally and you Mm -hmm. can get support from external people, but it's an inside job. Transformation is an inside Mm -hmm. job. Mm -hmm. And it is not for the faint of heart because you have to look at you, your belief systems, your patterns, you have to own up to stuff and you have to go through some pain in order to get there. And people don't want pain. We Mm -hmm. just want something to prevent the pain, you know, and it's not going to be there for a long time because it's a memory coming up or like me, I, uh, uh, somatic processes or so it Mm -hmm. comes through my body. You know, I will get nauseous if I feel something like I did at the Smithsonian, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. I'll get a headache, Uh, my stomach will belch and I'll go, God, what in the world is that? But, you know, Mm -hmm. stomach, um, 
through NET, I learned about the organs, the um, each have uh, an emotion that goes with it. And, you know, that's usually um, you can't control things. And after you go through a trauma, what do you want to do is you want to control your world. And it's, Mm -hmm. and so you put these constraints on yourself and they serve you for a while, but if you don't address it and start coming out of that, you're going to limit yourself so much that you're going to be depressed and you're going to be anxious and um, you need to find the root of that. And some of these roots for some of us go back, they're ancestral, they're generational Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. you have to pull it out of there because Mm -hmm. um, I talk in the book about you know, the roast being cut off at both ends, you know, and it's like, well, why are you cutting the roast off at both ends? And the the lady says, well, that's because how my, that's how my mom did it, you know? Mm -hmm. And then she says, well, that's how my mom did it. And uh, the grandmother sits there and goes, well, the only reason I did it is because the pan was too little for the roast. So in order to get the roast in the pan, I had to cut the ends off. Mm -hmm. And it's like, now the pan was really big, but you were still cutting the ends off, you know? And it's like, no, you gotta, you gotta wake up. And this is what this time in our lives is about um, worldwide. It's about an awakening um, to your soul, Mm -hmm. the connection with your soul and your spirit and the love, unconditional love of self first and to quit the freaking people pleasing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I was just having this conversation with my, my husband's cousin yesterday. We were, you know, reflecting on COVID and, you know, we're still in it and we still have to be careful. And and we've been very careful all along. We fortunately, and I don't want to jinx us, but we've never gotten it three years and we've just practiced and, um, still lived our lives when we felt safe after getting vaccinated and in that. Uh, but we were reflecting, I said, you know, I think one of the silver linings of COVID is that it's really made a lot of us more comfortable stating our boundaries and also others more comfortable accepting others' boundaries. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't recall a time where it'd be okay to, to say, no, I'm not coming over today um, because I know that you haven't really been masking and we're we're being safe, we're we're practicing safer practices. And there's no judgment in that. Um, but now there's, there's more, I guess there's, there's a, we're a more able to articulate our boundaries, not just in COVID sense, but I hear so many people saying, I just want to stay in tonight instead mm-hmm. of feeling responsible for going out and socializing. And, um, I, I really do think it's allowed us to take, take a breath. Right. And from expectation, realize ourselves. Yeah. What we need. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. My goodness. This has been such an amazing conversation and it makes me hopeful. I shared with you earlier and I may have shared with my listeners before, but I also had a near-death experience, but I don't remember it yet. And so it's given me hope that when I'm ready, I will remember it. But I do um, have a tendency to pass out (laughs) often. And um, from what I can tell, that's the greatest bliss that I've ever experienced. So I can only imagine that that's similar to the experience I had before I came Yeah, mm-hmm. You know, and I will share with you. Um, I really was in denial that that happened to me. Yeah. Uh, I just got on with my life and because I could, I couldn't, it was so big 
And it was so out of my realm of experience to try to integrate that, you know, and to trust that. So I denied it for a long time. And Mm -hmm. then when the memory came up, I still was like, oh, I'm not really sure. And like, I'm still getting elements of it, Mm -hmm. you know, even like three weeks ago, realizing that was my grandfather, because I do believe um, your ancestors do support you and Mm -hmm. you can, you know, they're, they're there watching over you as well. And so, um, you know, it's, it's a huge um, transformation to grasp. Mm-hmm. And I've always known I was sensitive, like since the accident, I've, you know, when you talk mm-hmm. to people who have NDEs, I cannot drink alcohol. Mm-hmm. I can't be around smoke. It makes me mm-hmm. sick, loud mm-hmm. noise. Uh-uh, you're not going to hear mm-hmm. me at a rap- a rock concert, mm-hmm. you know, um, and my husband's a musician, so they have to mm-hmm. play in the garage. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't, um, certain people's energies, I, yeah. I just can't tolerate them, you know, and I really am realizing that's all part of my NDE experience is just mm-hmm. coming back super sensitive to toxicity and to, um, to certain things that just, um, what I want to say, jar me, you know? So I have to, I have to work toward that. And, you know, it's Mm -hmm. disappointing to some people or whatever, but I just, I I'm like you, I have to set my boundaries and just Mm -hmm. say, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be able to go to that. You know, Um, I can't watch certain programs on TV. They're too violent. You know, it's Mm -hmm. just um, having to really um, check in with myself to Mm -hmm. go, wait a minute, is this for your highest and greatest good? You know, because if it's not, I'm not going to feel good afterwards. Mm -hmm. No, it's so true. And I I actually just had that conversation with my husband a couple of weeks ago because we do like Game of Thrones and House of Dragon and all of that. Right. So we're (laughs) into that. And um, he went to go put on the next episode of House of Dragon. I said, actually, I'm not in a spot to watch that today because I know there's triggering things and I'm not I'm feeling a little bit rawer than usual. So this is not a tonight thing. Maybe tomorrow I'll let you know sort of thing. But yeah, yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. I agree with that. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for sharing you and your story. And I, I don't know, it's not even one story. It's, it's just a, it's a journey. Journey. <laughs> journey doesn't even cut it either. No, no. And <laughs> it really doesn't. Why, no. That's why I hope people will get the book. You yeah, know, um, absolutely. It, it's the paperback is, is, you know, it's fairly cheap. Amazon's got it down to nine 99 right now. Okay. And All right. I was just about to ask where you could find it. So that's perfect. Yeah. Uh, Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, um, all have it or can get it. And, um, you know, I just uh, encourage you um, to pick up a copy. uh, And if you have a book club, let me know. And I will pop in for the the book club session for 30 minutes and and talk to you guys about what any questions you might have. So Mm -hmm. I'm offering to do that and please um, leave a a review as well. You know, Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I I really wrote the book and it healed me. It helped to heal me. And that's why I put it out there for others because it really addresses your concept of God. It, you know, and all of this comes into who you really are, you know, not who others are telling you you are or who Mm -hmm. you should be. 
Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. And this, that, that's the whole premise of Fimbledon. So what a perfect, <laughs> and look at you coming 360 again, right? It's just perfect. I love, love it. I love it. Well, it was a delight to meet you and take care and enjoy the fall. <laughs> Thank you so much. Bolden.